Today is Sunday, November 28, 2021. We are reading from the big book of AA, pages 39, beginning with Fred as a partner, till the end of the chapter. Karen C. will be our reader, followed by a 20-minute share by Julie R. Karen, are you ready to begin? Yes, I'm ready. This is Karen C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from New Jersey. Uh, Fred is a partner in a well-known accounting firm. His income is good, he has a fine home, is happily married, and the father of promising children of college age. He has so attractive a personality that he makes friends with everyone. If ever there was a successful businessman, it was Fred. To all appearance, he is a stable, well-balanced individual, yet he is alcoholic. We first saw Fred about a year ago in a hospital where he had gone to recover from a bad case of jitters. It was his first experience of this kind, and he was much ashamed of it. Far from admitting he was an alcoholic, he told himself he came to the hospital to rest his nerves. The doctor intimated strongly that he might be worse than he realized. For a few days, he was depressed about his condition. He made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. It never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so. In spite of his character and standing, Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept a spiritual remedy for his problem. We told him what we knew about alcoholism. He was interested and conceded that he had some of the symptoms, but he was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. He was positive that his humiliating experience plus the knowledge he had acquired would keep him sober the rest of his life. Self-knowledge would fix it. We heard no more of Fred for a while. One day we were told he was back in the hospital. This time he was quite shaky. He soon indicated he was anxious to see us. The story he told is most instructive for here was a chap absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking, who has who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all his other concerns, yet was flat on his back nevertheless. Let him tell you about it. I was much impressed with what you fellows said about alcoholism, and I frankly did not believe it would be possible for me to drink again. I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink, but I was confident it could not happen to me after what I had learned. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows, that I had been usually successful in licking my other personal problems, and I would therefore be successful where you men failed. I felt I had every right to be self-confident, that it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. In this frame of mind, I went about my business, and for a time all was well. I had no trouble refusing drinks, and began to wonder if I had not been making so hard work of a simple matter. One day I went to Washington to present some accounting evidence to a government bureau. I had been out of town before during this particular dry spell, so there was nothing new about it, about that. Physically, I felt fine. Neither did I have any pressing problems or worries. My business came off well. I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. 
I ordered a cocktail and my meal. Then I ordered another cocktail. After dinner, I decided to take a walk. When I returned to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed. So I stopped into the bar and had one. I remember having several more that night and plenty next morning. I have a shadowy recollection of being in an airplane bound for New York and of finding a friendly taxi cab driver at the landing field instead of my wife. The driver escorted me for several days. I know little of where I went or what I said and did. Then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. As soon as I regained my ability to think, I went carefully over that evening in Washington. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time I had not thought of the consequences at all. I had commenced to drink as carelessly as though the cocktails were ginger ale. I now remembered what my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come, I would drink again. They had said that though I did raise a defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. Well, just that did happen and more. For what I had learned of alcoholism did not occur to me at all. I know from that mo- I knew from that moment that I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help me in those strange mental sp- blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. Two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. I had to concede both propositions. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality such as I had exhibited in Washington was a hopeless condition. They cited cases out of their own experience by the dozen. This process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction I, uh, that I could do the job myself. Then they outlined the spiritual answer and program of action which a hundred of them had followed successfully. Though I had been only a nominal churchman, Their proposals were not intellectually hard to swallow, but the program of action, though entirely sensible, was pretty drastic. It meant I would have to throw several lifelong conceptions out the window. That was not easy, but the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, I had the curious feeling that my alcoholic condition was relieved, as in fact it proved to be. Quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles would solve all my problems. I've since been brought into a way of living infinitely more satisfying and I hope more useful than the life I lived before. My old manner of life was by no means a bad one, but I would not exchange its best moments for the worst I have now. I would not go back to it even if I could. Fred's story speaks for itself. We hope it strikes home to thousands like him. He had felt only the first nip of the ringer. Most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled before they really commence to solve their problems. Many doctors and psychiatrists agree with our conclusions. One of these men, staff member of of a world-renowned hospital, recently made this statement to some of us. What you say about the general hopelessness of the average alcoholic's plight is, in my opinion, correct. 
As to two of you men whose stories I have heard, there is no doubt in my mind that you were 100% hopeless apart from divine help. Had you offered yourself as patients at this hospital, I would not have taken you if I had been able to avoid it. People like you are too heartbreaking. Though not a religious person, I have profound respect for the spiritual approach in which such, in such cases as yours. For most cases, there's virtually no other solution. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. And I pass. Karen, thank you so much for doing the reading today. Uh, and uh, a special thanks to everyone uh, thus far who is who has read. Uh, and now is my privilege uh, to introduce uh, Julie R, who is our speaker. And Julie, uh, our basic plan comes with a ten-minute um, warning um, and then a five-minute warning. Uh, and would you like to uh, participate in that basic plan? Um, Perfect. Okay. Well, Julie R. Um, the floor is yours. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Uh, Julia, our recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, Fred, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like you could put my name in there instead of Fred's name. Uh, there's so many things that um, I've made notes on over the years, but it's like, it's, I think this, this chapter or these pages are so clear about the mental twist, right? You know, what makes us that compulsive overeater? Well, we have to have twofold illness, right? We have to have that allergy of the body and then the, the um, obsession of the mind. And where Fred's concerned, you know, he goes with these long periods of quote unquote abstinence, sobriety, whatever you want to call it. So therefore there's the allergy is not the component here. It, it's that mental twist. Um, and there's a couple of things that I, I so identify with, with Fred. They say that he was stable and, and well-balanced, like, you know, with his job, with his life. And it's like, if somebody looked at me, aside from, you know, large amounts of weight loss and gaining and losing and the depression, but saw me as a professional woman or with how many friends that I have, they would think, oh, you know, maybe she just likes to eat too much. I mean, she's always the, you know, the belle of the party and laughing and joking and has tons of friends and um, exciting job, et cetera. But that's not the case. I mean, that, that was just that double life, you know, that I lived too, just like Fred did. Um, and on the, um, the page 39, when it talks about uh, that the doctors strongly thought that he might be worse than he realized, I could remember, I mean, I've been in OA since 1983, but I really didn't grasp what, what, this illness was and the solution, obviously. And I just thought, you know, still, if I just found the right food plan, if I just found the right gym, if I just found, you know, um, before I got married, you know, the, 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 my future husband was going to, you know, be able to bring all these things together and I just wouldn't have to overeat anymore. Well, none of those things happen, right? Because I was that real compulsive overeater. I just hadn't accepted it yet. I kept on thinking that there's that, you know, what is it, that door number three, which we don't have a door number three. Um, 
is self-will that that first paragraph or the last paragraph of page 39 it talks about the progression of the disease you know fred would not believe himself an alcoholic um regardless of that i started to see these things in my life you know i would be able to stay on a diet for a year and then it was six months and then it was two months and then it was a month and then that cycle got smaller and smaller and smaller till i would wake up and I'd have to eat right away. I just couldn't even start my day. Um, and I would have wrappers around me all from the night before. On page 40, um, still Fred had a long way of admitting that he could do nothing about this himself. You know, he thought the, the humiliating experience plus that knowledge. Uh, I could, you know, remember going on these horrific binges that are, you know, 20,000 calories at a setting, eating like a wild animal. I mean, literally the stuff dropping out of my mouth, choking, I'm eating so fast, I'm choking. And yet that wasn't enough to make me stop because I couldn't stop um, because I was that real compulsive overeater. So it's like self-knowledge, you know, the big book talks about that avails us nothing. And it talks about in here, you know, plus the knowledge that he had acquired would keep him sober. I just had to look at those examples, you know, the, um, those periods of abstinence got shorter and shorter and shorter. You know, I, I say abstinence because I wasn't recovered. I was just thin. Um, you know, I had some recovery, you know, my life did change, but it wasn't like these promises that, you know, we have designed for living it. You know, I'm going to be um, changed from the inside out. I didn't have any of that yet. It was just, I just wanted to be a normal body size. Um, and on page 40, where it says, let him tell you about it. He was impressed with the two fellows that came. I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink. There's that mental twist again. You know, I don't know when it's going to slam into me. I just know it is going to slam into me if I'm not spiritually fit. Um, it might take a couple of weeks. It could take a couple of months. It could take, you know, I could have four years of abstinence and um, my uh, step 11 practices become less and less. My step 10s become non-existent, and then I'm going through the steps backwards faster than I went forward. So the mental twist is going to get me. Because again, you know, I'm separated from my alcoholic foods. I'm not playing any games. I'm weighing, measuring everything. But it's that mental twist that will always, always get me. Um, and then on the last paragraph on page 40, in this frame of mind, so the frame of mind that he's got his willpower, he's on guard, you know, I'm going to make sure I got my food with me. I'm going to make sure that, you know, I've accounted for anything that might happen. I, you know, I'm, I'm having a great uh, business trip and I'm going to use my own example here. Uh, I had about four and a half years of, of abstinence. And I say that I was recovered, but that last six months I started losing it, you know, uh, a little manipulation, a little deceitfulness. Uh, I changed the way I was measuring my oatmeal. Uh, all of a sudden, an ounce became a cup. All these things that I believed the lie. I mean, so there's that stuff was already happening to me. So I was um, coming back from Germany, and I had brought all my food for work, and I had all my food for the trip home. And um, the flight attendant asked me if I wanted the meal. And of course, I say no. I always say no. Here I am. Boom, what's going to happen? The mental twist. I asked her when she came back, I said, oh, can I, on second thought, I'd like to have the lasagna. 
mind you, I haven't had any kind of noodle for almost five years. Um, I know something's not sounding quite right in my head. Red flag, red flag. Um, and I ate it. And then what happens when we eat an allergic food? We have the phenomenon of craving. Now I've got the twofold illness is alive and well, and I'm on a flight coming home from Germany. So what does a compulsive overeater do when they're a trapped animal? They eat all their weight and measured food that they had. Plus I got another meal. Plus I went to the back of the plane and bought a whole bunch of garbage. And when I landed in Chicago, I binged and purged. I hadn't purged for probably five or six years. All that happened in a split second, that mental twist. But did it really happen in a, mental, in, in a split second? No, because it was already eroding. You know, my, um, I had already put God two, three, four down on my list. Um, so when it talks about on page 41, I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought, boom, we go back to page 40 when it said here, I rather appreciate your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes that first drink. There's that thought again, right? That mental twist it came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. Um, and it's so funny what we can do. I turned off all of the humiliating experiences of me weighing 155 pounds more, of me not being able to fit in airplane seats, me not being able to ride rides with my kids in Disneyland being the fattest football mom, um, hiding in the bathroom and eating, all of those things. Click, turned off, all I just had to eat. That's all. There's nothing else, you know, nothing else mattered except for me eating on that airplane. So, you know, that I wrote on the, the notes here, that memory muscle, it's gone. You know, we can't think through the drink or think through the binge. That doesn't do anything for me. I just put it out of my mind and I say, I deal with it later. I'll deal with it later. I'll get abstinent again. And this is like, you know, after a four and a half years and it's like our brain can go right there, right there without a, ugh, it's amazing. Um, the light, the lying and the cheating I wrote there too. It's, um, it's all came back. And it was like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to face my husband when he's here to pick me up? How can I eat some more? How can I go buy some stuff so that it'll, um, get me through the night without him knowing that I just broke my abstinence. Um, on page 41, then came the hospital with the unbearable mental and physical suffering, uh, that torture, uh, one, the body pain. I mean, you know, when we reintroduce um, those kind of alcoholic foods, it's poison. I mean, literally my body was sore just to touch. I mean, it was like, it, it was amazing what the sugar and the crap does to us. And of course my mind, I was, I was just lost. As soon as I regained my ability to what, to think, you know, there, you know, it's all about that, that thought, that thought that precedes that first bite. I went carefully over the evening in Washington. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time I had not thought of the consequences at all. I just said, I'll deal with it later. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna gain all my weight back. I'm not gonna go into a 10 month relapse. I'm not gonna do this, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, in fact, I went into a 14 month off and on relapse. I say off and on because I would binge, I'd get abstinent for a month. I'd binge, I'd get abstinent for a month. Oh, it's crazy. Um, the last sentence, I would drink. They had all said that even though I did raise, what? oh, they had said that though I did raise a defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. I didn't even have a trivial reason when I was on the airplane. It, she just asked me if I wanted the dinner, which I've always said no. There wasn't anything going on. I had a successful business trip. I was going home. Um, again, I had mental twists written all down on the sides. I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. So what does help, right? Well, that's really? that spiritual awakening. Right spiritual, a half mark? Okay. Yeah, um, good. That um, a spiritual experience or awakening is the only thing that is the defense of the mental twist. Nothing else. It's God. God's got to come between me and that first bite. And, you know, the rest of, you know, go doing the rest of the step work gets us there. Um, they piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality such as I had exhibited in Washington was a hopeless condition. How else would you describe that? A woman felt a caged animal on an airplane. All I could think about was how to get my next fix. It, and it's like, if somebody could read my mind, it would have scared them. Because I was like this, you know, I think it's in the um, step one and the 12 and 12, maybe the rapacious creditor. That's where I go. That fanged monster with the food just dripping. I mean, I am not like I am today. I am not a kind, caring, giving, compassionate woman. I am selfish. I am self-centered. And all I want to do is eat and you better get out of my way because I don't care who I harm at that point. Um step work I have in the margins here where it says then they outline the spiritual answer the program of action which a hundred of them had already followed successfully though I had been a, only a nominal churchman their proposals were not intellectually hard to swallow but the program of action I got it underlined it's not a program of thinking right we've done enough thinking it's action though entirely entirely sensible was pretty drastic it is drastic I mean you know, going through the step work, doing a four step, you know, making amends to those people that I've harmed. Um, and I harmed a lot of people, even though I thought I was recovered, you know, th that last like six months when it was unraveling, I had some amends to make. I would have to throw several lifelong conceptions out the window. And I have just in the margin set aside prayer, right? I have to start again. I have to think new. This is a new experience. Um, I have to throw out everything I've ever done. And it's like, I've got to totally trust my God, my creator. The moment I made up my mind to go through the process, which is the steps, I had been relieved. And in fact, it proved to be. So um, it's like dismantling you ourselves. And, it's, I, I, and in margins, I wrote like Humpty Dumpty, right? I mean, Humpty Dumpty falls and he just breaks apart. And we get put back together not by me, but by my creator and by my, you know, I hate to say good deeds or my good work, my step work, you know, it, how honest am I going to be? Uh, how thorough am I going to be? 
Um, am I going to be partially put back together? I don't want that. I've already done that stuff and it doesn't work. And it's only a Band-Aid. Um, quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles would solve all of my problems. It doesn't say solve my drinking problem or my food problem, all of my problems. So that's my selfishness, my self-centeredness. That's me having to be the best. That's me having um, to not have someone else do something for me because that's a sign of weakness all of those things um there's no mention of food here it's all about for me ego fear and self-reliance it's like oh my god those are so detrimental to me um on page 43 i have since been brought into a way of living infinitely more satisfying and i hope more useful than the life i had lived before so, you know, we hear about, you know, the design for living, you know, that we're going to um, live a life that we've always wanted to live. And um, it's just a mere beginning. You know, of course, you got to get abstinent. You cannot do this work when you're drunk on food. You know, it, it, it's like 100% abstinent. For me, what does that look like? I, I'm a volume eater. You know, I, I'm five two. I was 302 plus pounds. Um, so I, don't know limits, obviously. Um, so I weigh and measure everything. When I go out to eat, I weigh and measure. But that's just me. I have dear friends that don't have to weigh and measure, but they have. They do weigh and measure, but it's like a different thing, like a deck of cards, or they eat half the food and put it away. Um, and that's abstinence. I just, for me, I just weigh and measure everything. Um, and I do, I do my daily disciplines. It's like you know, I, I tell people, you know, I have. You have to do the tools when you're when you're working through the steps because. You're on a, um, I don't want to say a thin line, but it's like you're in a race against time. And it's like you have to do these tools until they're just a part of your life. And it's not that I have to do them. I get to do them. I get to talk to recovered people. I get to talk to newcomers. I get to talk to people and relapse. Um, my old manner of life was by no means a bad one, but I would not exchange it for the best moments of the worst that I have now. It's... Um, yeah, you know, I have a pretty good life. And the only thing that's changed, everything about me has changed, right? And it wasn't, I didn't change it. God, God's power, God's work. And I'm not religious. Um, I use God. I use creator. Um, you know, I, I really dived into um, part of my, my mom was raised on a reservation uh, where, where Chippewa. And, you know, I was able to embrace a lot of my, my Native American roots. And I do drumming, I do sage, I do tarot cards. I, I just mix it all up. You know, my God is so huge. It's like, how could I begin to know God, right? I mean, I just know God this much. Um, so yeah, minutes. I, five minutes, okay. Fred's story speaks for himself. We hope it strikes home to thousands like me. He had felt only the first nip of the ringer. Most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled. I was pretty mangled. Um, I was morbidly obese. The self-hatred that I had for myself, um, the judgmentalness I had for others. Um, I lived, I mean, man, did I nourish and foster all those character defects. I mean, they were just like coiled around me. Um, so yeah, I was hopeless, 100% hopeless, apart from divine help, right? I mean, because if I could have done this, I would have done it 
10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I'm 62 years old and um, I've got almost two years of, of black and white abstinence and, and being recovered. But I couldn't have done that without God, without my creator. Um, I have a profound respect for the spiritual approach. In such cases as yours, for most cases, there is virtually no other solution. Um, and I'm sure, you know, there are people that can do this other ways. And the big book even talks about that, right? I mean, they don't have a monopoly. But I know for me, doing the step work um, multiple times over the years since 1983, I continue to foster and to grow my relationship with my creator. The alcoholic at certain times has no zilch effective mental defense against that first drink bite, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. So it, again, it's that mental twist. I'm, I'm separated from my alcoholic food. It's been almost two years since I've engaged in any of those ingredients and those behaviors, like, you know, standing up, eating, driving while eating, um, those kind of things. But the mental twist will, not might, will slam into me if I step away from my relationship with my creator. Um, some people say that one day without prayer and meditation, I know. Two days without prayer and meditation, you know. So it's like, yeah, you know, I've got this healthy, healthy fear of uh, not straying far away from my God because Julie is a very ugly, vengeful, deceitful, lying, manipulative woman without God. And um, through OA and the step work, it's like, yeah, life rocks, you know, not always a 10, but it's good. So with that, I pass. Thanks.